See, when we're insecure, we react rather than respond. When we're insecure, we take more than we give. When we're insecure, we limit our best people. When we're insecure, we limit our ministry's effectiveness. When we're insecure, we delegate responsibility, but we never give authority. When you're insecure, you're very quick to speak into others' lives, but not quick to receive feedback in your own life. When you're insecure, you make others feel inferior. You make others feel insecure. You make feel, people feel illegitimate. You make people feel inadequate. How many of you know that's not leadership? We should be creating opportunity for people to be who God's called them to be. That's why, my friends... It's not a put-on, it's not a download, it's not a podcast, it's not even the Bible. It's you being with your Father. You're a son and daughter first, regardless of anything else. The second S, not only are we sons and daughters, we are sheep still. Now there's somehow this understanding, and I know we, but it's almost like the moment you are ordained as an elder, as a shepherd, you suddenly think you cease to be a sheep. You'll never not be a sheep. You will always be a sheep. And not the weird sheep, the Bible sheep. Are you listening? Shepherds are, you don't graduate from being a sheep when you become a shepherd. We are always sheep. And the problem and why I think we're seeing men and women fall out of the race is because they are now shepherds or they've been set into a position. They, fight, they think they no longer have sheep needs. The reason you're a leader is because you've learned to go to the shepherd to get your sheep needs met. That's what makes you a shepherd. Not because you don't have needs, because you know how to go to the true shepherd. And now you can function as an under-shepherd because you've had your sheep needs met by the true shepherd. Now listen, if your sheep needs are not met by the shepherd, you need the sheep to meet your needs. And you're in serious danger of abusing God's people. You'll never stop being a sheep. When God speaks to the sheep, He's speaking to you as pastors also. When we're readying the bride for the return of Christ, don't be so readying her that you forget you're part of that bride and you better get ready too. Are we okay? Are we friends? Are we good? I'm a sheep. So are you. Don't forget that and make sure you're dealing with your sheep needs. And go read Psalm 23. We we're going to do that this morning. It's amazing how we bring out Psalm 23 to funerals. And we read it for dead people and go, well, they're dead, but let me read, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, let me just tell you, it's not a dead person's psalm. David didn't die and then write that. David wrote this out of an understanding. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall have no wants. He leads me besides the quiet water. He guides me. He leads me. He feeds me. Friends, that's what we need if we're going to lead effectively. It's not going to be follow man, follow people. Be led by the shepherd. Become under the shepherd. Get fed by the shepherd. Let, be led by the shepherd. Be guided by the shepherd. And you will be an effective leader in the kingdom of God.
If I could just step on our toes for a minute. We need to know where we're vulnerable. None of you have graduated from vulnerability. We all have vulnerability. And we better know where it is. It's not a trick. We know. I'm begging under God that we deal with these needs, these sheep needs. We go to the Father. And let me tell you, there's a lot of things that we expect of our spouses to give us needs that only God can meet. You cannot put that on your spouse or your pastors or your leaders or your people. That's why you've got to go to God. But some of us are allowing the vulnerabilities. Too busy doing ministry rather than watching over ourselves. And we love each other enough to say it can happen to anyone. Look at what's happening around the world. Don't point fingers. Look and learn. It can happen to them. It can happen to you. I think there are three faces, if I could put it like that, three faces of our lives in leadership and in ministry. There's this public world where everyone sees it and we post it. It's all over posting. I'm not anti, you think I am, I'm not. But we play to what people see on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. That's not your life, my dear friend. That's fake. But there's this public world that we carry and everybody thinks that's who we are and we so care about who's liking what we're posting and what we're saying and our statements and and I'm going to get in trouble saying this but some of us post a quote you said it get over yourself just post the quote why do you have to say your name I mean what who what are you promoting here I'm serious forgive me I just don't I'll read it I want to delete it and say you're so awesome You should have written the Bible because that's straight out of the Bible anyway. Sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I I mean, you you know how arrogant you look? I said. You know, when I, I, half the things I say, I don't know who said them. And even if I said them, I will say someone said them because I don't know who said it. Who cares? But when you go to say, Leo Nakotra, yeah, okay. Well, he, he posted and then he, his name, he said it. I'm like, come on, dude. Do you want me to quote you? Leo said this. Who cares who said it? Right? I mean, you, you, yeah, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, friends, there's a public world, and most of us, if we're honest, we play to that in ministry. How many likes? How many like what I say? Who is watching? How many likes? Who's approving? Who's agreeing? I'm just telling you, that's not your life. Stop playing to that life. There's another face in leadership and ministry. It's our personal world. And this gets a little more intimate. And those are those who are close to us. And if we're married, our wives or our husbands or our family or friends, those close to us, that's another aspect to the faces of our lives and ministry. So there's this public, there's this personal, but then there's this private world. And I want to tell you, that's where you really are who you are. That's the world where only you and God see. And this is an accusation. This is a father looking out for his children. This is a sheep understanding. We have needs and we got stuff. That's where you deal with your sheep stuff. You and God, no one else sees. This doesn't feel bad. This is deal with this. 
Because you're sheep. You will always have sheep needs. And if you're not dealing with that, you're going to look to people. You're going to play the public thing. And then you're going to watch. And I've listened to pastors tell me recently, everything outside, our ministry is growing. The church is growing. People are, But inside, I'm decaying. I'm dying. I'm falling out. Why? Because I'm not taking care of this. I'm too busy focused on this. Now ask you under God, flip it round and come back to this. Look over yourself and the people, not them, then you. You, then them. Is this all right? Are we, are those, it's so good, man. I'm not above this. I'm, I'm saying this to you as I'm saying it to me. Mirror and lens. Integrity. That's who you are in that private world between you and God. Deal with those things, my dear friends. All right? So number one, we are sons and daughters. Secondly, we are always sheep. Sheep first. Still sheep. Only sheep. Okay? Thirdly, we are stewards. I believe stewardship needs to come back in the church again. And pastors and elders and leaders and pastors, we need to understand we're stewards. You know the thing about a steward? A steward owns nothing, but has been entrusted with everything. Can you imagine stewarding the kingdom, stewarding the people rather than owning them? I listen to people, my people, my church, and I know we talk, it's not yours, never will be, no one owns anything. There's only one who purchased them with his blood. They belong to him, and he's entrusted you to take care of them for him, not for you. They're never going to belong to you. And even if you've taken ownership by laying your life down, you still are a, a steward. You own nothing, but you've been given access to everything. See, I, I love riding Harley motorcycles. I probably just lost half of you there. In my country, in my state, we don't even get to wear helmets on a motorcycle. How cool is that? I've lost some of you right there, I know, but... It's awesome to ride a Harley with no helmet. That's like the living dream for me. And so we get to do it every day. It's brilliant. But before I had a Harley, I, had a, I borrowed, I had a Harley, I, I got given a Harley, and the whole story, and I was riding it, and my friend who came to visit me rented a Harley so he could ride with me. And so we're riding, and I'm like, I can see he's not enjoying that bike as much as he would enjoy my bike. So... We stopped somewhere, and I said to him, hey, dude, do you want to ride my bike back? Now, listen, if you ever get asked, do you want to ride someone else's Harley, you must say no. <laughs> That's Harley etiquette, but he had no idea about that, and I didn't mean it. I was like, hey, um, do you want to ride my bike like I was expecting? And he goes, yeah, actually, I wouldn't mind doing that. And I was like, oh. And then you're like, I didn't really mean it, but okay, here we go. But here's what I want to say. The ride there was awesome, and I was doing whatever I want because my bike. I feel comfortable in my bike. It doesn't matter. It's my bike. Now I'm on a rental bike riding back. It's a different ride. It's still fun, but now I've got to give this bike back when I get down the mountain. It's not mine to do what I want with it. Now I need to make sure I can give it back because I've got to be faithful with someone else's. I'm just telling us, she's not yours. We've got to give her back to the one 
who purchased her with his blood. So enjoy the ride, but she's not yours. We're stewards. We've been trusted. He's entrusted us. Paul said, now it is required in 1 Timothy, uh, 1 somewhere, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Not faithful to a task, faithful to a trust. Are you still faithful? Are you proving faithful? Not to the task, to the trust. Are you still trustworthy? And those of you who feel God's called you into this stuff, are you trustworthy? Am I trustworthy? Am I still proving faithful to the trust? Be fruitful and multiply is what we were called. I want to tell you, multiplication is one of the signs of fruitfulness, of faithfulness. I ask people wherever I go, tell me about faithfulness. What's the fruit of, uh, what is the fruit of faithfulness? Anyone want to give me what faithfulness is? Like, what? Throw out a No, no wrong or right, I won't judge you. What? You said multiplication. Ah, whatever, dude. Okay. So... <laughs> When I ask people, what is, what, is, what is a sign of faithfulness? They're like, oh, loyalty, uh, endurance, what? Commitment. Commitment. I mean, those are all right, but no one I've ever, except for him, but he heard me, I'm sure, say this. <laughs> no one ever says uh, multiplication. But you know, Jesus actually taught Matthew 25 when he talked about the talents. You know what he said? The one with one talent... One with two talents and one with five talents. Remember the story? And he gave one five, one two, and one one. And he gave them to him. And he said, go and take care of them. When he came back, he said, okay, the one with five had doubled his. And he said, you good and faithful servant. Good, faithful steward. I'm going to trust you and give you more. The one with two, same thing. Came and said, hey, why did you give him five and I only got two? I'm not happy about it. No, no. He went and multiplied. He said, good and faithful. But the one with one. Dug a hole, Daryl dug a hole, put it in there, <laughs> covered the hole, and waited for the return. The master comes back, the master says, where's the tally? He comes and says, here. Now listen, he gives back what he was given. We would say faithful. Didn't lose it, gave it back. And the master looked at him and said, you wicked and lazy servant. Why? Because you gave me what I gave you, you didn't multiply Stewards are called to multiply. All right, we've got to move on. Are you good? We're friends. You're very happy and quiet. But number four, we are servants. So we are sons and daughters. We are sheep. We are stewards. We are servants. I do believe we need to serve and have a heart to serve. How many know Jesus didn't come to be served, he came to serve. And I listen and I watch and I'm just challenging us that so many people want leadership so they can be served. You got the wrong understanding of leadership in the kingdom. And it's not going to change. It's the same God wants it. He has not put us here to be served. He calls us to serve others. And we are servants. We are servants. Yes, we're friends, but we're servants of him. Leadership requires service and sacrifice. 
Sacrifice, surrender, giving up your rights. You don't have rights when you're a leader. You've given them up and leading God's people. Serve, don't be served. You serve her, but she's not your master. Jesus is your master, not the church. But we're called to serve. Number five, we are shepherds. Shepherds. Now, you might not be a pastor here this morning or an elder, but you've got to have a heart for people. God's given you a heart for people. All leadership should have a shepherd-hearted leadership. Caring. Now, it's interesting. It doesn't say do shepherding. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes, it says, be shepherds. It's not something we put on. It's something we are. Be shepherds of the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We call to shepherd, care for, love. John 10, go read it. First Peter chapter 5. Great truths about genuine job descriptions for shepherds. Ezekiel 34, the warning is, Woe to the shepherds who only take care of their own needs. Should not shepherds take care of the needs of the people? Think about it, friends. The decisions we're making. I'm not having to go. But we make decisions based on what's best for the leaders, not what's best for the people. Something's wrong. We're there to lead them, take care of them, because they belong to Him. In Psalm 78, verse 72, it speaks of David, the great shepherd. It says, David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. Note, motive is everything in this. He shepherded them with integrity of heart. Genuine shepherding is not, if I do this, what will I get? Shepherding is, I do this regardless if I get anything. And I'm just, it's easy in any kind of leadership. For my role, it's easy to utilize my position and manipulate and tell things from the pulpit and tell people my needs. I can use my position to manipulate people to serve me. And so can you, anyone in this room. Integrity of heart is saying, I'm going to do what I've got to do, and I'm going to love you whether you love me or not. And even if you're not the richest guy in our church, you're the poorest who has nothing, I'm going to love you equally, because my heart is integrity of heart and skillful hands. Shepherds take care of the sheep. Connect with the right people. Please, don't waste your time with people who don't want to connect with you. Don't know what to tell you. Love them, but don't waste your time with them. The scripture Richard read this morning, reliable, invest in reliable. 2 Timothy 2 verse 2. People who are not just reliable as in, they're trustworthy. They're people who want to be with you. I remember my dad saying to me, Tyrant, don't waste your time. Don't give 90% of your time to those who give you 10% of your time. And I was like, ah, you're just old and tired now, and let me run my run. No, you know, you've done this, and, you know, when, when guys get older, now I'm 50, I'm old, so I'm like, you're wasting, I tell my sons, you're wasting your time, boys. Oh, Dad, you're old, we know what we do. And then when they hit 50, they're like, yeah, you're right, I shouldn't have wasted my time. Just, it's not an age thing, just don't waste your time with people who don't want to be with you. Don't wish for them what they don't want at the expense of those who are waiting for you to invest in them. You know this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Care, love, always love. Let's value the individual. 
in our church and in the street. It's not the bigness of what we're part of. God came for individuals. We must care for individuals. doesn't matter how big your church gets, how big NCMI is. We've got to care for every single person. We've got to give time to people. We've got to say hi to people, not get rushed out of here and get into my getaway car and take me to my hotel and bring me back and have all the security guards because I'm God's man of power. It's nuts. And people put up with it and pay for it. Nuts. Come back to loving God's people, being with the sheep. You don't have the right to preach to sheep if you don't connect with sheep. Can I just say this too? Entrust them with greater leadership responsibility. Entrust, affirm those who bear fruit and redeem those who fail. We love to affirm those who are doing well. You're doing such a great job, well done. But those who are failing... Redeem them. Don't just ignore them. You know, one of those pastors who fell recently in our country, who was part of this country, and I won't go into who, and just don't guess who, and not them who you're thinking of either. So just, and I'm telling you, it's like the church is gloating. Ah, see? So big, failed. Not God wasn't part. All this rubbish. Come on, stop gloating in the church is failing, people falling. We should be grieved. We should be broken. It better break your heart. Not because of the church, because of that poor family. they people, whether you like them or not. And they're called by God, chosen by God. And a lot of people, even in this room, are walking in what they are because of some of what they walked in. And I, I'm not saying we should endorse it. I'm just saying be careful how you treat people who fall. Uh, it's just, Aussies, we're good at taking everyone out. Ah, I knew it. Too big. God can't be in the big church. He's everywhere. He can be in anything he wants. Just watch over yourself and be careful, but don't gloat. David lamented when Saul was dead. He didn't rejoice. Ah, now it's my time. He lamented. He wept when Saul, who was going to kill him, tried to kill him, and now David's time, David wept and lamented how the mighty have fallen rather than praise God. It's my time. Let me show you. I told you they were a joke. We're the real deal. Be careful. It doesn't help the kingdom. Are we okay? Gee, I feel like we're getting, I'm landing. It's lunchtime. But I remember when that thing happened in another, in my country with, a connection, and I remember reading an article by, written by an atheist. And the atheist was standing for the pastor that had fallen, and he said, I'm going to stand with this man and his family. And he, he wrote a statement in his, in his article, and he said this, that the church is the only organization that bury their wounded. And unfortunately, we do that all the time. Someone struggles, someone falls, we're like, you're buried, you're dead, you're no good to us, and we move on. Our job is to redeem and restore. 
Now, it doesn't mean they have to come back to full position in the local church. But surely we don't just bury them because they're wounded. Do you think Jesus would have just buried people? He took wounded people. He affirmed those who who were stubborn. He redeemed people. The woman caught in adultery wasn't just a moment. It was the heartbeat of Jesus wherever he went. And he didn't just, what she was doing was wrong, but he brought her out. He didn't just leave her there, trash her there, stone her, or let the Pharisees stone her. Yeah, we like, yeah, if I don't identify with that guy, I'll probably lose people in my church. You better identify with Jesus and the people he's called you to identify. And Ozzy, I prophesy there's going to be an a awakening of more men and women who are going to come back to the call of God. Come, will they be allowed in the churches we lead or are we going to shut it down because I don't want to mess with those guys? And lastly, number six. We are seers. We are seers. All of us need to be seers. And not the prophets only, all of us. God doesn't give position in the church to people who are not able to see. He doesn't wait for you to get a prophet to tell you what he's doing. You've got to see what God's doing. All leaders need to be seers. Seeking God, understanding the seasons we're in. How many of you know? We need to know the season, so we know what to do in the season. It's up to us to go to God for that. We need, we need to see what He's doing. Some of us, in the busyness, in the pain of the season, in the trying to make it through, perhaps, and I felt the Lord say this, we've become like Jesse. We've overlooked those in our own home by so busy looking for people who've yet to come. We need to be seers. Who do we have in our home? Not as in your physical home, spiritual home. I've never met a pastor who doesn't want that person. If only that person was in our church, we could get something done. If that person was in my church, if you were in my church, if, but I've got these guys. We're so busy looking to there that we're forgetting this David sitting in your house. And Jesse, Jesse overlooked his own son. It's, it's, it's the greatest king other than Jesus was overlooked by their father in their house. So Samuel arrives and says, bring out your sons. And they all come. And he's looking around and he's overwhelmed by, yeah, it must be this guy. No, not him. Must be him. No, no. And then eventually he's like, hey, David, I mean, uh, Jesse, like, I mean, God kind of said it's one of your sons, but have you got any other kids? Like, is there anyone else? He had to ask. And, and Jesse's like, mm, let me think. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, he probably didn't do that, but I'm, I'm making the point. Ah, I do have another son. You're right, yeah. But hang on, he's taking care of the sheep. Like, yeah, that's probably a good sign. Bring him in. Comes in. David's ignorant. What's going on here? Why are you looking at me? This is him. The Lord says, man looks at the outward appearance. But I, God... 
I look at the heart. This is the one I have chosen. Not you chose him. You know you picked him. I chose him. Jesse missed the moment and had to be asked by the man of God to remind him again of who's in his house. God's saying to some of us, don't be Jesse. Look who you've got. Because some of those people, God's calling you to bring them in and release them to what God has.